Hey everyone, my name is Graham Parker, and you're listening to the very first episode of the Around Pickens Podcast. This is a bit of a test episode for us, as we're still getting our recording space put together and figuring out the right format for the show. But for anyone who doesn't know, I'm the county's communications guy. And together with you, we are going on a journey to get to know the people who keep our county running and why they make the decisions that they do. Today, we're going to start that journey by taking a look at something that affects all of us. Talking about paving roads. There have been plenty of paving projects recently all around Grandview, Cove Road, and a whole host of other places this summer. At some point, perhaps at various points in the last year, I'm sure you've been in that spot where you're just trying to get to work or you're just trying to get your kid to practice, and lo and behold, traffic is at a dead standstill for road construction. You sat there, praying that the flagger would just flag you through already, and when they finally did, those road guys just seemed to be standing around. What's the deal with that? What are they holding up traffic for, and why can't they get out to my road? You know, my suspension takes a beating every day on my street, so why are they working out here of all places? These are all perfectly valid questions, questions I'm pretty sure all of us have asked at one time or another. But I think those are all just part of a bigger question. What goes into paving a road? I mean, at the end of the day, we all know it involves tearing up old pavement and laying down new pavement, but what does that actually involve? What kind of work, planning, and cost actually goes into paving a few miles of road? Well, that's what I set out to discover today, when I sat down with Pickens County's Public Works Director, Kirk Anderson. What follows are highlights from our conversation, where we got together to talk a bit about Kirk's background and about the nuts and bolts of executing a paving project. Stick around after the interview, because we have a bit more content coming up as well. But in the meantime, listen up and let's hear what Kirk had to say. So, Kirk, did you tell me that your uh, father or grandfather was actually the public works director at one time? It was my great uncle. It was D. Anderson. He he was from the west side, and that's been quite a few years ago now. But yeah, he was he was uh, also what would be public works director now. It was a road superintendent back then. But uh, yeah, he he did the same job for a while back. Do you know of any of the projects he would have worked on back then? Not right off the top of my head, you know. It, I'm sure it's probably the same type of work we do today. It wasn't related to public works. Now he did build a lot of the flood control dams that we have today, the ones that were built back in the '60s. Uh, of course, he did those privately, but um, you know, I'm sure that as far as the public side, it was scraping roads and putting in culverts, and probably not as much patching potholes then, yeah. but. Um, you know, probably a lot of the same type works, cutting trees and getting everybody where they need to go. Right. Well, how about yourself? What, what were you doing before you came to Public Works? I've been a contractor all my life. This is actually the first public job that I've ever had. I worked, uh, I had my own business for really since high school. I started out cleaning out lakes and ponds and it was kind of specialized work. I had to travel a lot and as economy kind of went downhill. We kind of branched out and my dad had always done grading work. So I kind of got back over into the grading. We did like everybody else at the time, we were doing subdivisions and roads and streets and uh, chicken house pads. So, and I, I did a lot of stuff in heavy industrial stuff too. I worked in the quarries and uh, landfills. So 
we it wasn't nothing for us to move hundreds of thousands of yards of dirt on a project but as time rocked on this this job got run by me and it seemed like a good change of pace and it's worked out really well i, I really enjoy i really enjoyed my job and the day-to-day -day things we do and and it's a lot the same type of people i mean we work the same type of people you know keeping up with equipment and you know i run the, i run the public works just like it's my company i mean it's you know i take care of the citizen stuff just like it's my equipment how i'd want it to be taken care of and and i'm the same way with the money i spend money you know like it's my tax money because it is my tax money you know try to try to look after the county's assets you know just like i would my own hmm. that's a good outlook well with that kind of a background did you have any experience paving roads most of the time when it got to the paving is really where we stopped at. Like when we were doing streets, you know, we did the pads and uh, the dirt work. And once we got it up to subgrade, that's where we stopped at. That's one thing I've been a little weak in and I've had to lean more on my guys for it. And, and I'm learning too, as far as the paving and the different aspects of the actual asphalt and whatnot. But you know, it's, it's all construction and, you know, everything you build from the, the base up. I mean, you've got to have good substructure before you can have a good road. And it's, you know, it's all basic grading principles. But, you know, as far as the actual asphalt itself, like I said, that's something that I've had to kind of learn on the fly since I've been here. But uh, we sub a lot of our, our actual asphalt work out. So uh, that's taken care of. So... For a layman like me, how would you explain what goes into paving a road? Like, from the top down, how, how do you plan that out? Well, if you're going to build a new road, you actually build from the bottom up. It's, you know, most of our stuff's already cleared. But, you know, if you're going to build a new road, you go and take out the trees, you take out the topsoil, any organics that will be in there that might decompose over time. Um, you set up your grades, you get your grade, you know, to what you want it. Elevation wise, um, you've got to deal with your drainage, you know, if you've got to have storm drain or whatnot in there. Once you get your grades where you want them, then like the way we do it, a lot of our roads now will chip seal, which we used to call tar and gravel, but it's basically the same process. We just don't actually use tar anymore. But on our chip sealing process, we try to get at least four to six inches of gravel under the chip seal and you wet it and roll it and you know try to get that to a good compaction and get a good grade on it and then when we actually come in chip seal we put down well you put down tar first and then you put a layer of 57 stone you do another layer of tar another layer of 57 stone and then one or two layers of 89s and that's the the numbers are the different gradients of the stone so you start with a larger stone and uh, that kind of builds structure and kind of bridges the weight out uh, to a wider area. And then your 89s, that's a smaller stone, and that gives you a smoother ride, and it fills the voids of the bigger stone. It's kind of like building a, a cake. You, you put your stacking layer on top of layer, and whenever you get done, what you're uh, trying to achieve is, you know, whenever you put weight on it, it's, it's distributing that weight out over a bigger area. And two, the tar, it seals off the, the stone and keeps your sub base from getting wet and getting soft in the wintertime. Hmm. You know, out on Grandview, there's been quite a bit of paving going on, what's called full depth reclamation. 
Is that a different kind of process? That is a different process, and it's the first process like that that's been done in Pickens County. I know Dawson County did some out past Big Canoe four or five years ago, and it's held up really well. The way it differs, Grandview was probably one of one of our our worst roads for the size road is. I know we've probably got some that's in pretty bad shape, but for the amount of traffic that was on Grandview, it was it was in real bad shape. And we elected to do that process because it builds up the substructure in a way that we can keep the road open. It keeps the uh, traffic moving along. And when you get done with it, you've, you've pretty much built the the road back up from the dirt level up. What they actually did, the process itself, they put cement that come in tankers, they put down about half an inch of it on top of the asphalt. And then the milling machines come through and as it mills, it's mixing the, the cement in with the asphalt and the base that's already there. It actually grinds up the asphalt layer and it's mixing all of this together and they apply the correct amount of water to it. So it sets up pretty much building a concrete foundation. And when, if you were out there whenever they were doing it, when they made the first pass through, you could see the brown sands and stuff that was under the road to begin with. And then they put a, it was kind of like our chip sealing process. They put a layer of, of tar, or they call it emulsion now, but they put a layer of emulsion down and then they put a uh, kind of a real fine sand layer on top. And they said what that does, it sealed the top of that off to where the concrete dries all the way through. It, it sealed off the top to where the whole structure is drying at the same time. And you're not just getting a, getting it dry on top and kind of cracking like wood or something would. It, it gets a good cure all the way through. And after they do the emulsion and the uh, sand layer, then they came back with the asphalt and put a, a good inch and a half of asphalt and the new paint and all that you're seeing right on today. But it was an expensive project and it was, uh, it was the cost of it was kind of a hard pill to swallow, but for the benefits of it and for the longevity that we're hoping to get out of it, I, I think it was really the way to go on that one. Well, that sounds pretty thorough. What sort of a lifespan does that give it? I would think that that would buy us about 20 years on that road. You know, we may have to do minor repairs on it, but, and you know, we'll probably have to resurface it, but we should never have to go to that depth on it again. You know, as long as we keep the surface up, that road should be in good shape, you know, for many, many years to come. So you said that it came at a particular cost. What does it cost to pave a road, roughly? That particular one with the FDR, it was $2.2 million for five miles of road. Hmm. Now, typically with just the resurfacing, it's a little less. I mean, it's considerably less. If you're just putting down an inch and a half of asphalt, I want to say it run around $100,000 per mile. There are other methods that we're wanting to start doing that are more, it's not asphalt, but it's, it's pavement preservation. That's something I've been looking into and it's going to be considerably cheaper. Some of this stuff can go down for a third of the price of what asphalt can. It's not going to buy us the time that, you know, redoing a road will, but 
what it's going to do is keep our good roads good longer. What we want to avoid is our roads getting to the level of deterioration that Grandview is. If you fix your worst road every year, it's kind of a downhill spiral because you're spending more money on your worst road and your other roads are, are getting to that level faster. So what you want to do, yes, you want to fix your bad road, but you've got to start putting money towards your, your medium roads and extend the life of them out. That way you're kind of getting more bang for your buck on your money. And, you know, as if you look at the whole road system, you're starting to build the whole system up instead of just, you know, waiting for this road to fall apart before you give it any attention. Hmm. It sounds like there's a lot of strategy that goes into picking the road you pave. So you've said that there is a paving season. Since you have a limited window to work in, how far in advance do you decide which road you're going to work on before that season comes up on you? I've already been talking to the engineers since about June on the roads that we're wanting to pave next year. We're talking to them about strategies of what, you know, which roads we're going to do, how we're going to go about paving them. And I'm on them. I want to see, I would like to see our road projects bid out early January, February at the latest. Now, whether that'll happen or not, it's a lot depends on our engineering, but I like to get our pro our next year's projects out early. That way the paving guys can get it on their agenda. I'd like to see them, you know, us be some of their first projects whenever the weather starts faring up. I'd like to be some of the first projects on the list. That way we can get ours out of the way. And that gives you time too. If something goes wrong, you know, if you have some kind of delay, you're not facing cold weather. The Grandview project, the contractors put us off on it way more than I would have liked to have. And, and they're, we're reaching the end of the paving season now. And had they missed, you know, missed many days, had rain days or something like that, um, you know, we could have been looking at some delays on getting our paving finished. But you were asking about season, uh, you know, fair weather. You can get away with more on paving because asphalt, you know, it goes down three to 400 degrees. Uh, so your material is real hot. So it's got a little bit longer season than our chip sealing does. What you got to look at is your ground temperature. And like on our chip sealing, it needs, the ground needs to be like 60 degrees or higher. Um, so even like right now, our ground temperatures of a morning are like 47 to 50 degrees. So a lot of these days, the guys are having to wait for just a little while in the morning to start putting it down. What it does when we shoot the tar down, it cools too quickly and the stone will not adhere to it. Um, like I said, with asphalt, they can run a little bit longer because the material is so hot, it will actually heat you know, the road surface under it. If you resurface it, it'll heat the ground back up under it because it, the material itself is so hot. But us just using a stone at you know, pretty much room temperature, it won't do that. So um, as far as weather window, you know, like asphalt, you know, they can start first of March, you know, late March, first of April, whenever, you know, it starts getting warm. Whereas our chip sailing, you know, we have to wait till late May, something like that, where, um, you know, the ground temperatures are coming up to where we can do what we need to do. And then on the, 
on this end, you know, everything's kind of winding up around now because the nights are already getting so cool. You mentioned putting bids out. How much of the paving work is actually done by public works crews versus what you contract out? We handle about all the preparation before the contractors come in. We don't do asphalt anymore. They sold the equipment to do the asphalt before I got here. And I think it was a good move because it is so labor intensive to pave a road with, you know, with all the people that you tie up, it just shuts down all other operations. I mean, the amount of people that we have now, they were all being tied up on the paving operations. So, you know, all of our day-to-day -day maintenance stuff was just going, going by the wayside. So I think that was a good move. And when you get your contractors in there, these are guys that, you know, they do this every day. That is their job. That's what they do every day of the year. You know, whereas my guys have the capability to do it, but, you know, it was kind of seasonal for us. So, you know, we, we did other things and then, you know, we did asphalt for just a month or so. So I think it was a good move on their part to hire out the paving. Um, like I said, we do a lot of the preparation work. If we know a, a road is coming up to be paved, we'll usually go in and check the pipes and everything that's, you know, from the paving level down. If we know a road's going to be paved, we'll go in and change the pipes out. Uh, if there's any inkling that, you know, it has a problem or if it's time to. And uh, we try to fix any substructure on it. You know, if we see there's cracks, you know, bad cracks, you know, bad pothole or something like that. A lot of times we'll just go in and cut that section out and get that substructure built back up before the paving guys come in. That way, you know, once they put that, that nice new layer down, hopefully, you know, we shouldn't have to be back into it for anything for hopefully years, but it doesn't usually work out that way. Man, that is some pretty involved work. I've got to tell you, most people, myself included, I think when we're driving by one of these sites, we're really just paying attention to what the flaggers are doing. But beyond them, what is actually going on? What sort of equipment is involved and what kind of jobs are the men doing? Well, we all of my guys are cross-trained. We do about everything but paving. Um, and you, you mentioned the flaggers. That's something you've got to take into account. A lot of times we got five-man crews going out there and you've got two flaggers if you're on any kind of busy street you've got two flaggers so that leaves three guys it's actually you know i know the flaggers are working but you know that's actually working on the project at hand and normally one is a truck driver that's usually a cdl driver we use a lot of the little flatbed trucks to transport material in or out you'll usually either have a, a mini x or a a skid steer, uh, some kind of a, a piece of equipment, an operator for it. And then you've usually got a laborer out there that, you know, maybe laying pipe, you know, shooting grade or, you know, just handling the, the ground type work. So we usually go out in five man crews. Um, usually I've got like in the summertime, we've got two crews of that size that, you know, they may be widening the road. They may be putting in pipe they may be cutting trees. And then um, we've got one, another crew, I say a crew, they are just the mowing crews. Uh, we have four tractors that we try to keep going all summer. 
two bush hog tractors that, that pull the bush hog behind them. And then we got two what we call long arms, which set on the road. And they're the ones that cut the bushes way up high and the, the limbs overhead. For each one of those tractors, you have to have a follower in a truck behind them, you know, putting out signs, weed eating, kind of flagging traffic around the tractor. So there's eight guys. I mean, with four tractors, there's another eight guys that, that are tied up all summer. All right, come wintertime, you know, once once frost hits and the grass kind of slows down, the two long arms, they keep going. Those We're trying to run those year round and keep all the limbs beat back because they're, they're slower. They don't travel as fast as a bush hog, so they've got to keep going all, all year round for us to stay uh, up on the trimming. And uh, the crews that run the actual tractors in the wintertime, we put them together and make another crew. They've got their own lead man. And then they start doing, you know, like the other crews are. They may go and clean out ditches. We've got a, a leaf sucker that we clean, suck leaves and debris up about starting soon. Uh, we'll try to get all of our, our ditches sucked out before rainy season starts. And a lot of times that crew, they, they swap out pipes and, and whatnot. So, and like I said, we, we're cross-trained. Uh, I can send any crew to do any job and, you know, they can. And then moving into wintertime, we've got trees we've got to deal with. You know, where trees come down, we've got dead trees standing. We've actually got our own bucket truck. We can drop trees as long as they're not around a power line. And then we grind up the material, haul it off. So about any of my crews can handle about any job. Of course, there's, you know, Certain ones are better at certain things, but you know, when the chips are down, I can, I can pick up the phone and get any of them to go do any job that needs to be done. Man. So hot weather, cold weather. It sounds like there's always something to be done. Oh yeah. And we keep a crew. Most people don't think about us being on call, but we've got a crew on call 24 seven. And of the three crews, they rotate out, you know, every three weeks and, um, we get, we get quite our quite our share of 911 calls you know hey this road shut down you know we got something falling in we've got a you know got a culvert that's washing out um and you know when the phone rings they go and then winter time that brings on a, a whole new can of worms whenever you start spreading brine plowing roads you know and there again cutting trees whatnot so it's a 24 7 job do you find that any particular time of the year is busier than the other, or is it just a different kind of work? It's just a change of the seasons. <laughs> I mean, it really is. Nothing, you know, like the summertime, you know, we're getting stuff ready for the pavers. Um, we're trying to widen roads, get them ready for the paving guys or, you know, paving crew, chip sale, you know, whether we're doing it or whether a contractor's doing it. And like I said, it just moves from one season to the next. You know, it goes from from paving to cleaning out ditches and then then to snow and ice and you know storms on on both sides of cold weather and like i said it's just kind of a change of the seasons and like last spring we had the floods and had to get everything cleaned up from that so it's never boring <laughs> i definitely believe that well, if I could circle back around to paving real quick, what would you say are the biggest difficulties that come up whenever you're working on a new road? We get a lot of, I guess you'd say, complaints or inquiries about 
what's it going to take to pave our road, you know, it being a dirt road now. And a lot of the roads that are left now that are still dirt, they were left dirt for a reason. All the roads that was easy to pave, you know, they've already paved them. With ones that are left now, you've got to take into consideration, you know, if they've got rock on them, uh, you know, a lot of them have a creek next to them, you know, that brings in environmental factors. And a lot of times the big thing is right away. You know, even though, you know, some of our roads may have a 40 foot right away, that seems like a lot of room. We're trying to get our road widths to at least 18 feet finished product. Well, you got 18 feet of roadway, then you need another three, four feet on either side for ditches. Well, not only that, in this mountainous terrain, you, your elevation may go up 15 feet on one side and down 15 feet on the other. So you've got to have room for that equipment to work to widen that road out to even even start the project. So 40 feet is not really a lot of room whenever it, it comes to regrading these roads like they need to be, you know, in this type of terrain that we have up here. And Whenever we go in on a new project like that, it's like I was, I was talking earlier, you know, we've got to fall trees and, and, you know, there's a lot of work that's got to be done and you can't just fall a tree, you know, right next to a busy road without enough room to do it. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot that's got to go. There's a lot of work and a lot of expense that's got to go into taking a dirt road to a paved road now. And for anyone unfamiliar, when you say right-of-way, you're referring to public property around a roadway, typically measured from the center line of the road 20 feet in either direction? That's correct. If it, if our list says it's a 40-foot right-of-way, that's measured, that'd be 20 foot from the center of the road in either direction. And it varies um, as property is changing hands now. They try to get a 60-foot right-of-way, so we've got to be real careful because you go down one road, you know, it might go from 40 to 60, then back to 40. Uh, so we have to check on that too, as we're working. That, uh, most of our roads have 40 feet. Some of our old state roads that the state have given us over the years, like uh, Talking Rock Highway going north out of town, we actually have a hundred foot right away on those. That's what the state usually has. and. Uh, there's a few over in the west end of the county that um, have been given to us over the years from the state where they moved the state route around and we've actually got 100 foot right of ways on them. But we're not that lucky on a lot of them. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of the state, a lot of my family lives around the Hill City area and they've uh, got some strong opinions about 53 out there. But with that being a state road, does maintenance of that fall to GDOT or how do you coordinate with them on a project? It is. We we try to help each other out if we can. You know, if, if they're at an intersection and, you know, they've got the machine out there to clean out a ditch, you know, they'll they'll clean the ditches a little bit, you know, around that intersection. Or, you know, if we're out, like we had the big windstorm, well, it wasn't really a big storm. It was just a, a lot of damage there at the Tate Cemetery here a few weeks back. And you know, they had trees down, we had trees down, and uh, these guys around here are really great to work with. You know, we, we kind of coordinated together and used use what equipment we had on site to, to where we got everybody's road back open as quickly as possible. Like I said, they're, they're really exceptional to work with. 
but yeah, most of the time, you know, if it's a state route, you know, the state handles all the maintenance on theirs, whether it be, you know, mowing, where it be signs, the condition of the road. And then, you know, once it crosses over into, and most of your big intersections too, um, they own extra right away at the intersections, like where our county road come in or, you know, a CD road or something like that. They'll have a little bit extra room there at the intersection. Well, let me ask you, as we wrap things up here, is there anything you would like to say to the public, either about paving or anything else that you do? I would ask just be patient with us. I mean, I've, I've been in this position two years, and a lot of the things, you know, we, we see that there's problems, and, you know, we're trying to address them as, as quickly as we can, but there's only so much that we can spend on them per year. There's only, I mean, we've got 400 miles of road, and I've got... 30 guys to cover it. So it, you know, we're really spread thin as far as, you know, what we can do. So I just ask be patient and kind of look at the big picture too. I, I know I get a lot of calls, you know, I'm worried about this driveway pipe at the end of my road. And I know it bugs you because you see that pipe every day coming and going, but I have to make the decisions where people go of a day. And, you know, if it's a road that has three or 400 cars on it per hour, you know, if I have a problem with that road, I've got to address that before I address your driveway pipe. Um, you know, yes, I'll, I want to get to it and I will get to it as soon as I can, but you know, that that's a lot of my job is just prioritizing, you know, what's gotta be done the worst, you know, how we're gonna spend our money the most efficiently and you know, how we're gonna, you know, use our money to, keep the road system open for the biggest number of people. Um, it's, it's not that I'm ignoring you and it's not that your problem isn't a problem and it's not important. It's just, you know, we just got to prioritize and, you know, whenever the crews come available, I'll get to you as quick as I can. Well, I think we all certainly appreciate that. Everybody, this has been our public works director, Kirk Anderson. Kirk, thanks for coming on the show and speaking to us today. Thank you. Wow, so that conversation covered a lot. Not just the ins and outs of road paving, but also the bigger picture of maintaining roadways. Personally, I found what Kirk had to say on considering the conditions of existing roads when deciding on what to pave particularly interesting. How trying to keep our good roads in the best condition year after year makes more financial sense than paving our worst roads every year, which evidently creates a downward spiral of pouring more money into our worst roads while our maybe not so good roads deteriorate towards the same condition faster. Truly, there is a lot that goes into the whole operation, which is why it's important to remain vigilant. Speaking of vigilance, we should take a look ahead at what is coming up this month around the county. Now, like I said, this episode has us experimenting with our format, but I thought it might be useful to have a portion of the show where we look at the calendar and see what sort of interesting things are on the schedule. And then maybe one more thing before we close out the episode. But on the government side of things, the best place to get information is on our website, pickenscountyga.gov, which, by the way, just received a major upgrade. I think that our new design is a whole lot more user-friendly than before, so check it out if you haven't already. And while you're there, you can scroll all the way down on the front page to see our upcoming meetings and holidays. This month, we should have all of our standard Board of Commissioners meetings, which happen every first and third Thursday at 5.30 p.m. 
And beyond that, it looks like we have a planning commission meeting on the 14th at 6 p.m. and a board of tax assessors meeting on the 17th at 8.30 a.m. And as always, all of those will take place at the administrative building. Hey, do you know what day is coming up this month? Election Day. This year's general election falls on Tuesday, November the 8th. However, if you want to skip the lines, early voting will continue until this Friday at the Pickens Community Center. Polls will be open from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., so if you haven't voted yet, come on down. Now let's talk about community events. What kind of fun things are happening in the neighborhood? Well, a good reference for that is the community calendar on nopickens.com. And in case you don't already know, No Pickens is the place for all things happening in the county, so I would highly encourage you to follow them on Facebook and YouTube. But looking at the calendar, it looks like we've got a couple of notable events this month, including the Tate Day Festival on Saturday the 5th, and the 11th Annual Holiday Market at Chattahoochee Tech. It looks like that will run from Friday evening on the 18th, and most of Saturday on the 19th. It appears that Tate Day will be free to attend and include crafts, food vendors, a cake bake-off, and a parade that begins at 10 a.m. So hey, if you and the family happen to be in the area, or if you think that your cake has what it takes, swing by and see what it's all about. Meanwhile, in spite of a 10-year run, I have managed to miss attending the holiday market. But reading from their description, it appears that the market is a good place to pick up some handcrafted gifts before the holiday season. The college will host some 90-plus vendors to choose from, as well as food, drinks, and entertainment. Tickets to the event are $25, which can be purchased either at the door or at Renaissance Bank. Now, with all that out of the way, let's move on to the last portion of our show. Questions to the Chairman. If you had the opportunity to ask Chairman Stancil anything about how our county government operates, what would you ask? Would you ask who Pickens County is named for? Why do we have certain ordinances? Or what the heck is a county commission and why do we have three commissioners? Well, this is your opportunity. You, as a listener, can submit a short question, either in the form of a text or short recording, at questions at pickenscountyga.gov. And if concise and if appropriate, I will sit down with Chairman Stancil and get an answer for you. Now, as this is our first episode and we obviously don't have any listener questions, we're going to put that on hold. And instead, we're going to end the episode on something else. An entry in this month in Pickens history. Now, our county was founded all the way back in 1853, giving us quite a bit of history to choose from. But for this month, we're going to turn the pages back to the early years of our county's history by looking at its time during the Civil War. Specifically, we're going to look back at Halloween of 1864, when some of the men of Pickens County were mustered to Marietta to join the Union Army's only battalion from Georgia. Now hold the phone right there. I can already hear you on the other side of this microphone saying, Georgians? In the Union Army? Why, I've never heard of such a thing. And that's why I'm bringing it up. It's not a particularly well-known part of Civil War history, and since it happens to intersect with our own history, I think it's worth talking about. Now, as a history major, there is a whole, whole lot I could say on Georgia and the Civil War, but since this episode is already running a bit long, I'll keep it brief. In 1861, when mulling over the prospect of succession, the Georgia Congress decided to put it to a vote amongst the counties on what they thought the best course should be. 
There were two votes, and in the northern part of the state, a number of counties, including our own, voted twice to remain with the Union. Now, obviously, the state decided to join the Confederacy, and in counties such as ours, a volunteer home guard was raised to protect supply lines and to generally project Confederate authority over the land. However, unlike a lot of other counties, Pickens had its own Unionist militia. According to the Georgia Historical Quarterly, this militia had its own headquarters and spies, and spent their time fending off the Home Guard and raiding plantations in the region. Pickens was not alone in its Unionist sentiments, and after Sherman's army made its way down from Tennessee, they set to work recruiting Loyalists into their ranks. This eventually culminated when men mostly from Union, Dawson, and Pickens counties were mustered to Marietta to form the 1st Georgia Infantry Battalion. At this point in the war, Atlanta had already fallen, and rather than continuing with the army towards Savannah, the battalion was sent back to the northwestern part of the state to defend the western and Atlantic supply line. During their brief inception, the 1st Infantry saw little in the way of combat, but what combat they did see mostly consisted of skirmishing with Confederate guerrillas and roaming bands of deserters. On July 19th, just a month after the war ended, the 1st Georgia Infantry was disbanded in Dawsonville, and the men returned back to their normal lives, bringing to an end this unusual chapter in Georgia's history. And with that, we are going to wrap up this first episode of Around Pickens. Let me remind you again, our email is questions at pickenscountyga.gov. Please use that to drop us a line, whether it's to ask a question to Chairman Stansel or to simply give us some feedback. The full intention of this podcast is to connect our government with its citizens, and we really value your opinion on how well we are doing that. So please, let us know what you think so far. What works? What doesn't work? What topics do you want to hear covered next time? I've got some other interviews in mind, but at the end of the day, I want to bring you the ones you want to hear. So don't be shy about letting me know. The show will be back at some indeterminate point in the future, but stay tuned, because once we get things up and running, this will become a regular program. In the meantime, I'm Graham Parker, and I will see you around. <laughs>